You're listening to Run With The Bulls, a podcast discussing a unique approach to everyday finance with everyday people. Run With The Bulls is sponsored by Mentoro, a financial wellness company. Now, your hosts, author Danny Kofke and the royalty of financial wellness, Whitney Queen. Welcome to Run With The Bulls. My name is Danny Kofke and I'm a motivational mentor with Mentoro. I'm joined by the president of Mentoro, Whitney Queen. Hey, Whit. Hey, Danny, and hello to everyone listening. Once again, we are joined by our dear friend, American College of Financial Services professor, Dr. Matt Gorin. Welcome. Thank you for having me back. And this might be the last time invited back because so many people are uncomfortable with what I'm talking about today. Huh. What's that? The B word. Mad. We can't talk like that on air. No, not that B word, Danny. Although the one I'm thinking of might be even worse, budgeting. I know I've certainly referred to my budget as being the B word. Yeah, I think I have too a few times. What? Why do we think that is? Well, you know, I think that many look at the B word like they do the D word. No, not that one, Whitney. Get your head out of there. Uh huh. A diet, right? We kind of look at it like, oh, B word, D word diet. So like it restricts us in both ways. We think a budget restricts us and doesn't allow us to spend money with a diet. We think it restricts us and doesn't allow us to eat certain foods. And just changing what we call our budget can help soothe the process. Some people call it a spending plan. Uh Mm, Great thinking, Matt. No wonder you're a doctor, huh? (laughs) However, there are some differences between a budget and a spending plan. So for starters, I'm thinking very simplistically. One way to look at it is a budget tends to look backwards. So you take a look at some of the historical data to build what your financial picture looks like, whereas a spending plan tends to look more forward, taking into consideration your goals. Budgeting can be very specific, while a spending plan can be more focused on kind of the big picture. You know, and I've noticed, too, you did mention a budget, and it's easy to remember, budget backwards, right? But a spending plan, and we'll get into it in a little bit later on, but the cool thing I think about a spending plan is it can be adjusted, right? We can plan for our money to do something, but along the way, there may need to be some adjustments, and we have time to allow to make those changes. Whereas a budget, when you look backwards, hey, if you spent $100 on Starbucks last week, guess what? You spent 100 bucks on Starbucks. It's not coming back. But then going forward, you can say, you know what? I'm not going to do that again and plan not to do it. One of the things I think about is different between the two. Spending plan, I think of as top down. We said starting with our goals. Where do we want our money to go? So you start at the top and you get down eventually maybe into the weeds. Usually though, people leave it at big picture. They don't get so much into the weeds. Whereas budget is more bottom up. You start with the things like Starbucks and then say, how much money is left over after I spent all those things? And that top down, bottom up really changes our behavior. For sure, because I think a lot of people we've heard at the end of the month, they don't have any money for themselves, right? Because they don't have a plan in place. So when we do those things and we have the Starbucks or we have our car payments, we have our mortgage, whatever, and then it's like at the end of the month, guess what? 
I have nothing left, so how can I invest in myself for retirement or build up my savings account or whatever it may be? But I think that's a lot of times because we're just focusing solely on that budget, but we're not using the information we find in that budget to create a plan to help us make the changes that we need to make. Guilty as charged. I'm definitely one of those people that you guys have learned throughout the season already that I tend to be a little more of a penny pincher. And so I drill down to that budget and I stay super focused on that budget instead of thinking bigger picture to that spending plan and, and focusing on some of those things. I think that's why it's great in this episode, we're going to kind of take a look at both things, but also how they can work together to help you achieve financial success in your financial wellness journey. So when it comes to creating a spending plan that will work, we often have to keep two types of expenses in mind. Yes, and coming up next, expenses that remain the same over time and others that change. All right, welcome back. So we just discussed that when it comes to creating a spending plan, we're looking forward and planning for expenses that will occur in the future. Perhaps the easiest ones to plan for, though, are the fixed ones. Definitely. Fixed expenses are those things. It sounds like it. They're fixed, right? They cost us the same amount over a period of time. And the fixed expenses, it's not only the amount, it's the regularity, it's the stability of those expenses. So think of something like a mortgage. You have that due every single month, a car payment every single month, Netflix subscriptions every single month. Could also be every year if it's paying your taxes. But these things we can look into the future, know how much we're going to pay. And often when we're locking in the, the payment amount, we can also lock in maybe a certain interest rate, if we're thinking cars or mortgages, we can plan ahead, look out into a foreseeable future. And some of these expenses, they can be changed a little bit, right? If you refinance a mortgage, for instance, you can change that. A car payment, you can do sometimes with that, but it takes a little bit of work on your part. And it doesn't happen usually like that. Refinance the mortgage, it may take a couple of months before the new payment kicks in. So that's kind of, you know, why you refer to them as fixed, because a lot of times they're going to stay that constant price over a period of time. And what I like about the idea of refinancing or same thought process would be maybe canceling a subscription, whatever we're looking to lower our fixed expenses. When we lower them, we do that once you refinance usually once, maybe twice. You're not refinancing every month. It's not something you have to think about constantly and do again. Do I want to refinance this month? Do I want to go through the work this week? No, it's one and done. Netflix, you cancel it one time. You buy the cheaper car one time. So when we're looking at fixed expenses and their impact on our budget, their impact on our ability to live our lives the way we want, it's a one and done kind of thing which then has these really big downstream consequences. An example with me, so when we moved from Florida to Georgia years ago, we just went with the same homeowners and car insurance policy. It was easy and you know, in the middle of the move, you're just, that's the last thing you wanna deal with. Well, I'd kept that for a while and I'm like, you know, I'm gonna call and just figure out a way, maybe I can lower this. Took me about 15 minutes and I saved $1,500 a year by lowering the auto and the car. One phone call, or the auto and the, the homeowners and one phone call did that 
for the duration of time. So yes, you're correct. It's just, it takes sometimes a little time, but if you do it, a lot of times you can get a lot of bang for your buck. Yeah, forever without thinking about it again. Right. So when I look at trying to help someone with cash flow problems. How do we get out of negative cash flow? How do we get out of having a lot of debt because you're spending more than you're making? These fixed expenses is the first place that I look every time. And not only am I looking at fixed, I'm rank ordering them. What's your biggest expenses down to your lowest expenses? So I'm first looking at housing costs usually. Are you spending too much on housing? Mm-hmm. How can we cut that down? Are you spending too much on a car? Also usually a big one. How about these different subscriptions? People might have two, $300 a month of different subscriptions. Can we cut those down? I do all that before I look at how often do you go to Starbucks? How much are you spending on your kid's birthday presents? Something like right. that. Because those housing car, that might be thousands of dollars a month, and we can make those changes once and last forever versus the everyday. What I love about the approach that you just mentioned about looking at those bigger expenses first, I'm guilty as anyone. You know, I tend to look at the smaller things. And I think a lot of times for us is because we lived on that reduced salary for so long that it was the everyday things. And heck, it was what, 10, 15 years ago, Everyday Millionaire came out, David Bach, latte factor, right? That was this huge thing. Now it's avocado toast. It's costing you a million dollars, right? But we don't take a look at the bigger picture. So I do like that approach that you mentioned that maybe instead of nitpicking going, well, who goes to the movies right now? But, you know, those minor expenses that may be $15, I like looking at the big ticket items because, hey, we can knock $200 off a mortgage or insurance or whatever it may be. Hey, we can go get lattes every day now and we're breaking even. So, And you're right. It just takes one time to do it compared to changes throughout the month. So on the flip side of that, let's say some of our younger generation listeners don't own a home, aren't dealing with home insurance yet, Mm -hmm. and they are the ones who love the avocado toast and the lattes. Are there big expenses at that point that they should be looking to that could apply that same concept to? Or is it really more of the one-off subscriptions that we should really look at? Is it really more the everyday behaviors? Mm -hmm. Even for people who don't own the home, uh, rent is still often the biggest expense for folks. Uh, The transportation costs can be another very big expense. And student loans for a lot of people are yet another one, other kind of debt payments. So it's not to say that, you know, for a lot of folks, just ignore those daily expenses, right? Because some people are going out to eat way more than they can afford, buying too much coffee than they can Mm -hmm. afford. But for so many of us, their housing, transport, debt payments, those are 60, 70% of a lot of people's budgets. And what I have seen, you mentioned the uh, the latte factor, mm-hmm. whatever it was. Yep. There's also this like guilt trip thing that I notice people are doing in people like me, financial <laughs> educators, right? Uh-huh. Where uh, they're telling people like you should feel guilty, you should feel ashamed for going out and treating yourself and buying a coffee, right. buying the avocado toast. You're such a bad person mm-hmm. for doing that mm-hmm. when that experience buying the coffee, if you're going with friends to go sit and relax, that could be so good for your mental health at a time when overpaying for the apartment or paying too much for student loans or something 
is not doing anything for you. It's doing nothing good for you. Sure. So don't make someone feel guilty for spending five more dollars than they would have. How about let's focus on overspending for an apartment by $500 a month, $1,500 a right. month. And uh, those people living in Atlanta can see a huge difference. Do I live in the $2,000 a month place or do I find the $1,400 a month place? People listening in San Francisco are like, is there a $2,000 a month place available? (laughs) When I was living out there, I would help people find new housing. And it was, in some cases, savings of $1,500 a month, like $18,000 a year, a new car every year by cutting down on housing. Right. But feel guilty about going and buying a $5 latte, right? I mean, How much avocado toast could right, you eat? Right. I mean, penny-wise, pound-foolish. That's the old right. saying. So, yes. and, and so, again, it's not to say don't look at mm-hmm. this other stuff at all, but I would say start with those things. And that's where you're going to see the massive levers. Sure. And probably to get back to your point, I think if you're younger and maybe you don't have that mortgage yet and you don't have elaborate car payments, maybe you should focus on the smaller things because that's your big thing right now, right? But I think for many people that are maybe more established and have that house payment, have those other things, it makes sense to take a look at everything and not just solely focus on that budget and, oh, I got to cut this out because to get back to Matt's point, I mean, it's okay if you go out with coffee with friends and spend five, ten dollars. That's not a bad thing sometimes, especially right now. I mean, we all need a little, uh, a little happiness in our lives. So, just yeah. I think a bigger picture. And I'm saying this almost hypocritically because I don't go out and get coffee. I have switched to instant coffee. Which Ugh. I see, you're you guys have a Keurig machine in here which is like worse than my stuff, <laughs> worse than my uh, Excuse me? Uh. <laughs> and I, my girlfriend has a Keurig machine, and I'm like, I'll take my instant, thank you. Okay, um, well. Keurig is like instant coffee, but in a cup, right? Yeah, I, but you I, have a little pod, and yeah, it's... <laughs> Just makes you feel better, I guess. It does. <laughs> because the, the machine makes a cool pop sound when you put the handle I down. I think that's it. Does it your instant that. coffee pop? Does not no, it doesn't. Okay. But uh-huh. I have done the math on this because I guess I'm a little weird, and it, my instant coffee get is like two cents per oh, cup. I've done the math too. Right? It's insane. And so, <laughs> yes. as much as I'm saying, don't sweat the small stuff. Right. Uh, I have switched to instant, and the savings versus say going out to Starbucks every day, which for some people that is the habit. It's like mm-hmm. coffee every single day. Well, I'm saving maybe three, four dollars. Every day, multiply that out. We're now at a thousand dollars. Right. So, right. if you're doing this every day, there can be things to look for. Agreed. Agreed. And I, I've always used the example too. And I, when I worked in an office, and people that would eat fast food lunch every day, they wouldn't even think about it. I'm like, you may spend five dollars a pop Monday through Friday. Don't think about it. But five dollars a day becomes twenty five dollars a week, a hundred dollars a month. a year. So back to your point, $1,300 could be three car payments. It could be two mortgage payments. Who knows? So that's when I think sometimes those everyday things do add up and we have to take a closer look at them. And those kinds of everyday things that I would put right into that same fixed expense category we're talking about, right? It's a different animal when we're talking about go get coffee with a friend one time. <laughs> right. It's a different thing to say go get brunch that one time and get the avocado toast mm-hmm. versus every day for lunch, every morning I go get coffee, every whatever. Yes. Now it's a fixed expense. Masquerading 
as a variable expense. Right. But no, it, we're right back into that fixed category. So how can we pull that down and get the same quality of life? which for me is accomplished by drinking instant coffee, right. which I love. To each their own. To each their own. <laughs> and uh, what I've noticed as well is some people, most people say, this is my life. This is as good as it's going to get. I'm already operating at peak efficiency or something. Mm-hmm. And I would challenge everybody, be creative. Look at your life from like an outside perspective. Try to evaluate life as an outsider. Almost everybody here in Georgia, I'm sure, is telling themselves, I need a car to live in Georgia, (laughs) for example. Mm -hmm. I live in Atlanta. I live in the Burbs, whatever. I need a car. I haven't owned a car in nine years. I'm celebrating my nine-year no car, or nine and a half years, I think. Wow. Uh, Yeah. And people are shocked. Like, how could you possibly do it? Not that hard at all. It's getting outside of this thinking of, I have to have it this way. And for me, no car has been fine. It has been a big nothing. Going from a maybe two-car household to a one-car household, even easier. Mm -hmm. Or my parents are in a three-car household with two of them. Makes no sense to me at (laughs) all. Do you need the extra car? Same logic. Do you need the three-bedroom house or the four or whatever? Could you get by with a smaller house? Could you get by with cutting this, cutting that, knowing that six months later, a year later, you don't even miss it anymore. Mm -hmm. You're used to the new status quo. And like we said, make the one decision, the one time, that car that needs to be replaced. Mm -hmm. It doesn't work anymore. It got totaled in an accident. The transmission went out. Can you get away with not replacing the car? That would maybe be the time to do that. Sure. And then see, maybe your life can be very different and much cheaper, which then means you can spend on other things that actually bring you joy and give you more flexibility. It's really interesting, looking back over this past year with COVID, how many people we saw actually selling their house or they were at an inflection point in their life where they didn't have a home and packing their kids in an RV because their kids were now doing virtual school and traveling the country to go to all the state parks. I know of at least three different groups of people who have done that in the past year alone, kind of adopting your same mentality of like, let's cut that fixed expense Mm -hmm. so that we can now have these other experiences because there was no way that we were going to be able to accomplish both. So it's the give and take that kind of gets you where you want to go. I think that's the biggest key to that give and take, right? Most of us can't have it all. So we kind of pick and choose what's important and then you pick, hey, you want to go out, drink instant coffee and that's that's fine, but maybe with that freed up money, you're going to do something else with it. So that's the the bottom line when we look at budgeting or even spending plans, whatever. It's like looking at the bigger picture of most of us, unless we make an infinite amount of money, we're not always going to get everything we want. So we do have to make choices and pick and choose. Right. And I, I think that is a very important consideration because if you look at your cuts, as losses. If you're saying, I'm going to go without the car, I'm going to go without the extra bedroom, I'm going to go without the coffee every day. That's going to make it very hard for you to actually make those cuts because it's now painful. You are losing every time you make that decision. And I would invite everyone to completely reframe how they think about Uh that. Completely opposite. You are giving up that one thing, sure, to gain something. I'm 
giving up the coffee to gain the ability to go on an extra vacation right, every year. Right. I'm giving up the car to gain this, gain that, right. whatever it is for you. We had one car when we moved back from teaching in Europe for two and a half years. So there are days I rode my bike to school, right? I was the only teacher with a bike at the bike rack because we knew in order for Tracy to stay home in the future, living on a teacher's salary, we couldn't have a car payment. But I looked at it like that way. I get to have Tracy stay at home and raise our children. So it wasn't like, oh, I got to ride my bike. It's I get. So yeah. I love how you, you just rephrase it positive because, yes, if we're giving up something, it makes it very tough. So I know that we've now discussed the two types of expenses you have. Is it better to use a spending plan or a budget? After the break, an answer that may surprise you. So how can you decide when you should use a budget and when you should use a spending plan? For me, I think it's best if you use both. And I've done that. So shortly after Tracy and I became married, we moved overseas and we wrote down, and this was before the iPhone, right? So life did exist before then. I, I wrote down with a piece of paper and a pencil everything we spent. And then, so that was, you know, the budget part, right? Looking back. So at the end of the month, we analyzed, okay, where is our money going? And we could see, okay, maybe we can cut this out. This doesn't mean that much to us. We can cut this out because at that time we were traveling. Once again, going back to, we then allowed ourselves extra money to go to places we probably wouldn't see before. So that was the budget part. And then actually what I did with that budget is we listed our major expenses, and I just wrote that down in our checkbook, an easy budget for us is I added up our major expenses, and let's just say, and I'm gonna use hypothetical numbers, let's just say our income was say $3,000 a month. And then our major expenses, let's say mortgage, car payment, all that, let's just say it added up to $2,000 a month. What I would do at the beginning of the month is just take 2,000 from 3,000, we have $1,000 left for the month. A lot of times I would divide it by four, usually four weeks in a month, we have $250 a week to spend, groceries, gas, whatever. That was a very simplistic budget, but we had already gained control. We knew you know, we're, we had leakage in our budget, so we kind of cut those things out. So then we were spending on things that we really wanted to. Now that we have dual incomes coming in, we don't have to be as tight with the budget anymore. But I will say, I still use a budget for discretionary purchases. So for cash, like for entertainment, eating out, I go to the ATM every month, the beginning of the month, and I pull out a set amount of money in cash, and that is our spending money for the month. So it's nice for us because then I know... Even though, you know, it, I guess you could call it a budget, but it doesn't feel restrictive really because at the end of the month, you know, if we have no money left, guess what? All right, that's fine. We'll just $400, whatever the next month. But if we have money left over, I put that aside in a vacation fund. So we kind of almost reward ourselves in a way for not spending money that we're actually allowed to spend on whatever we want. But when we don't, then it's set aside. And then this fall, we're going on a fall break with the girls and going to Colorado. And part of the money we're using is that cash money that we didn't spend. We still use now both of them. Look for the spending plan of our big picture items and our, our future goals, but also still budget those everyday discretional expenses. And for me, it's harder 
to spend cash than it is to swipe a card. I know a lot with the younger generation, they don't even know what cash is sometimes and ever spend it. But for me, I still have that emotional attachment. So a lot of times when I have that discretionary cash, it makes me say no to something. I'm like, eh, I really don't need this. I think about a vacation. So I kind of put it back in my, in my wallet. Yeah, I think that little cash trick is great. And I would not call that budgeting, but it's a wonderful little trick that if you, anyone listening, is uh, having trouble with overspending, if you pay for something in cash, it feels like something's leaving your body, like you're losing something in a way that swiping the credit card doesn't feel like it. So for overspending, that's a great trick. From the budgeting point of view, you've given yourself this giant, miscellaneous mm-hmm. bucket, right? And you could spend it on anything and you don't have to spend it. You have left over where I see a lot of folks go into budgeting. is like every dollar, how much am I spending on the fast food? How much am I spending on this? Mm-hmm. Uh, which can feel very restrictive. Well, I will say, I mean, we did do that at first. It's what works best for you and for individuals. I think doesn't have to be as detailed. If you're someone that right. has a lot of debt and has stuff going out, you may want to get really detailed to make sure, hey, I got to know where every dollar's going. But then hopefully at some point, you don't have to nickel and dime yourself to yeah. death and worry about every single cent because yes. that can be very time consuming. Yeah. I, the people who really need to budget are those people who have a very tight cash flow, right. like either income's low or expenses are high mm-hmm. or both. Absolutely, you need to track where that's going because one misstep. Mm -hmm. Oops, I forgot about that. That can derail everything. So you really do need to be on top of it. And then the other group is also a group you were in when you were moving and then moving again Mm -hmm. is people in transition because you really don't know when I move, in your case, to Poland or coming back, how much is it going to cost to live my life? And so tracking that pretty diligently for, say, three months, six Mm -hmm. months, and then you can relax it a little bit once things calm down. Definitely. How about you, Wade? Have you had an experience with budgeting? Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I was just thinking, actually, when I first started out, I probably was, like most people, not really sure how to budget other than to look at historically what I was spending. They didn't teach that in school? <laughs> hmm. Right? I know. <laughs> So just trying to wing it a little bit, and I was one of those that fell into the category of making it overly detailed. Surprise, Mm -hmm. surprise. (laughs) And I was super excited and energetic about starting this, but as you guys have heard before, at one point I did this with Justin, I gave him a free spending budget of $7.82. Awesome. Is that the most realistic thing in the world? No. No. (laughs) No, it's extremely uncomfortable. We mentioned diets earlier. I think what I learned in going through that is balance and moderation is more my speed versus something that's so restrictive. I fortunately have not really ever carried high amounts of debt, so there wasn't something that warranted me being that stringent. I tend to have more loose categories for budgets where I include my fixed costs, but I also include a little room for buffer. I own an older home, so I have to budget in there at least on a monthly basis that something's going to break or have to be fixed or something. It causes a lot less stress in my life, and it's easier in my marriage for us to keep things a little more loose and kind of let things have and flow naturally. Sure. Yeah, and I go the looseness to the extreme where my budget <laughs> is entirely 
uh, how much money do I have at the beginning of the month and how much do I have at the end of the month? And I have no idea where most of it goes in any given month where everything's on auto pay, everything's set up where I don't need to open the hood and see that it's going to the right place. But that did take effort one time mm-hmm. to set those things up and make sure everything's on auto pay, make sure I'm not running a deficit. But then once it's done, the money's like slowly tracking up because I'm on average making more than I'm spending. All those benefits you're having of no friction in my life and mm-hmm. no disagreements with anybody because ah, it's just it's slowly ticking up and that's good enough. But if I go into transition, like moving, that's that's going away. And I'm going to need to go right back into the hood, mm-hmm. which is so uncomfortable <laughs> and frustrating. Yeah, that's, I think that's why we call this the B word, right? Because <laughs> even those things that we set up on auto pay, like, for example, not too long ago, I wanted to go compare the power bills because I mentioned yes. the power bill that's here. Right. And I, I thought that was kind of high compared to my house. And so I went to go look back at mine and I was looking through some of our regular expenses that I never really do because it's on auto pay and I just trust. And we were double charged. Uh-huh. So, you know, even if you do have those things kind of automatically set up, it is important to have that budget where you can at least have some frame of reference to look back to say, is this how it's supposed to be? Or does this feel weird? Does this seem Mm -hmm. off so that you aren't delinquent on anything because technology failed you or Mm -hmm. you weren't overcharged for some strange reason? So, Right. But I think, you know, we're all kind of getting to the consensus that First off, pick a plan that works for you. One budget doesn't fit all. One spending plan, you have to do what works best for you. For all of us, get to that point. And I think we've all utilized both in certain degrees. And now we're at the points where you can get charged twice and it doesn't ruin your financial life because you have buffer. Matt doesn't have to look under the hood every single month and itemize everything because money's there. I have discretionary cash every month that I can spend on whatever I want. Why is that? Because we did all at some point start off with knowing where our money was going. And I think that to me is kind of what sums up this episode is just having control of your cash flow. Always you have to spend less than you earn if you want to be successful with money. So before we run, I think one thing that might help some of our listeners, if they're finding themselves uh, wondering if they're on the right track and if they've got the right budget and or spending plan in place. Matt, what would be a piece of advice that you give them to take that first step action? If you've never done a budget at all, piece of paper and a pen. Start with that. It doesn't need to be complicated. It doesn't need to be sophisticated. If you're comfortable using Excel, I know a lot of people who use that. Just throw some numbers onto a spreadsheet. And then there's who knows how many dozens of apps at this point that are good at aggregating your accounts and making it a little more automated. Danny, like you said, and I totally agree, pick what works for you. Mm-hmm. Find your style and then find a tool that matches your style. Automate it as much as you can. I think that uh, sums it up perfectly. So thanks for joining us, Matt. It was a a pleasure getting to talk to Dr. Gorn again, right? And thank you for listening. Catch us next time as we Run With The Bulls. Run With The Bulls is sponsored by Mentora and hosted by Danny Kofke and Whitney Queen. Learn more by visiting mentorogroup.com.